Father in heaven, thank you so much for the marvelous opportunity to be here at the Amen Conference. Our spirits have been lifted. The music has just been wonderful, and we thank you for it. It's inspired our hearts. And Lord, the message this morning by Lindy and the Sabbath school and every aspect, the offering appeals and the mission reports. And Father, we just praise your name for what you're doing through this organization. It's growing and expanding like was written by the, by the pen of inspiration. We'll see the medical missionary work broadening and deepening until the earth is lightened with the glory of God. And we believe that Amen has a part to play in the fulfillment of that vision and dream. Now, Lord, focus our mind on the text of Scripture. Whatever blessings we've had this day and in this conference, we know you have even a more abundant blessing for us this moment. We know that you want to feed us with the bread of life and nourish our souls, we pray thee in Christ's name. Amen. No night had ever seemed so long. They wept and they prayed, and then they wept some more. Like the early disciples, their Lord was taken from them, and they knew not where he went. And they spent most of that night in praying, these early, disappointed Advent believers. As the sun rose in the eastern sky, painting the horizon as with the beauty of the master artist's brush, they were feeling more confident. They were feeling that although they did not know the answer to their dilemma of the disappointment, that God would reveal to them his light and his truth. And so Hiram Edson and his friend O.R.L. Crozier decided to leave the barn where they were praying and traverse across Edson's cornfield and encourage some of those other early Advent believers. And as they were trudging across that cornfield, Edson lingered behind his friend and soon he began to think about the prophecies of the book of Daniel. And soon in his mind, he began to connect the dots. And soon, as if in heavenly vision, he sensed that the sanctuary was not the earth to be cleansed by fire, but it was the most holy place where Jesus would enter into his final phase of judgment. And there, looking through the open door of the sanctuary, light came to Christ's people. As these early Adventists continued to study the subject of the sanctuary and look through its open door, God's truth became clearer to them. Now, what did they see when they looked through that open door of the sanctuary? And more important, what do we see when we look through the open door of heaven's sanctuary? And even more specifically, what does a view of the sanctuary have to do with a group of health professionals gathered in a place called San Diego in 2014 at their 10th annual health conference. Does the sanctuary say anything to us about health? Does it give any direction to us in our message today? I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Revelation, the third chapter. We're looking there at Revelation chapter 3. And Revelation chapter 2 and 3 describes the history of the Christian church. 
and Seventh-day Adventists believe that although the messages to the seven churches have relevance to every generation, that the message to these seven churches speaks to specific ages in church history, beginning with Ephesus in the first epoch of church history down to the church at Laodicea. But it's the church of Philadelphia that we want to look at. Adventists historically have believed that this period runs someplace in the 1831 to the 1844, that early pre-Advent period. And here, Adventists, looking here at this church called Philadelphia, have seen the church of the open door. We're looking there at the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. And looking there at verses 7 and 8. Notice the text of scripture. Listen to the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, and he who is true, and he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now notice some things about the text. This is the church at Philadelphia. What do we know about the church at Philadelphia? I've traveled to the seven churches sites on numerous occasions. Some of you have traveled there with me. I love Philadelphia. Years ago, I made friends of the curator of the church at Philadelphia. He is a Muslim and a, really a good friend. And so the first time I was there, I was taping television programs for It Is Written Television. And it was a rainy, cold day. And I was shivering. I had a crew of about eight with me. And uh, as we were there, the Muslim curator at the Church of Philadelphia at the archaeological site saw me shivering. And he said, uh, can I help you? Let my wife get you some apple herbal tea. So he brought me herbal tea, and we sat and talked in true Turkish tradition, Muslim tradition, for a couple hours. And then we went back and did the rest of our telecast. The next time I came back, I had about 60 on a tour group. And he said, oh, I couldn't let you go without giving you herbal tea. And so he served our 60 herbal tea. Next time I came back, I think I had two or three buses, about 250 uh, Bible teachers. And he said, my wife is not here today. <laughs> Philadelphia was, is a wonderful place. Now, the significance of Philadelphia is this. Uh, Philadelphia was built as a gateway city to Asia. It was a transition between Europe and Asia. It was a gateway city. The Greek-European sophisticated culture was passed through. It was, the city actually was built for this purpose, for missionary purposes. It was built to take the Greek culture to barbarians that were living in this area. And so when you think of Philadelphia, you think of a doorway. You think of an open doorway for the spread of Greek culture. So here, in language that those living in the first century would understand, here, the John writes, verse 8, last part of verse 7, rather. These things say he was holy, he was true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Early Adventists, looking through the door of the sanctuary in heaven that was open, 
seeing Jesus in the most holy place of that sanctuary, saw light shining through the door of that sanctuary, and they sensed there is a door open. Now, open doors represent opportunity. Open doors represent possibilities. Throughout the New Testament, we read about those open doors of possibilities. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So in the New Testament, the open door of the sanctuary represents the open door of possibility, the open door of heaven's grace, the open door of heaven's mercy, the open door of all the gifts of heaven flowing earthward to human beings. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And notice how Paul uses this expression of the open door. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You're looking there at verses 12 and onward. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me of the Lord. When Jesus opened the door of heaven's sanctuary into the most holy place for the glorious light of the end time message of truth to shine upon the world, he was opening a door of opportunity for all mankind. Here in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul uses the symbol of a door to represent possibility, opportunity. Now, Paul gets nervous. Here, his colleague is to meet him there at Troas. Verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of him, I departed from Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul says, I'm nervous. There's a door of opportunity open. This is a divine moment of destiny. I cannot miss it now. Just as God providentially opened doors in the New Testament era for the rapid fulfillment of his mission in the proclamation of the gospel, so we can accept, we can expect at end time, we can expect when the door of heaven's sanctuary is open and all the grace and love of God flows through that door to an earthward people, we can expect that God will rapidly and at times unexpectedly open doors for his end time people. Now the first lesson from the open door of the sanctuary is this. Its light is shining upon us today. Look for open doors in your community. As medical professionals, the open door of the sanctuary is symbolic of open doors that God is going to have for you in your community. God is going to open doors for you as well in the hearts and minds of your patients. Don't become so busy, so consumed, so engrossed that you miss the open doors of opportunity. Would it not be a tragedy if a woman coming to be treated by you, going through the trauma of a divorce, depressed, has an open door to have you pray with her and you fail that opportunity. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if somebody who's struggling with their kids that are strung out on drugs, that has hypertension over that, that's experiencing the anxiety and stress that elevates blood cholesterol and that, that elevates LDL, would, would it not be a tragedy if somebody comes to you and you give them stress medication, some kind of medication to reduce the stress, but you never deal with the cause of that stress, which is the anxiety over their kids. Would it not be a tragedy if we operate 
on a malignancy, but we fail to deal with the malignancy of the heart, the malignancy of the soul, the malignancy of the spirit. Would it not be a tragedy if we dealt with the symptoms rather than the fundamental issue that's causing those symptoms? There is a door open in heaven's sanctuary. There's a door open in your community for you to minister the grace of God in that community. There's a door open in the hearts and minds of your patients that come to you to be ministered unto as well as physically treated. But there's another interesting expression in our passage. Did you notice it there? Here, John quotes the Old Testament. We look there at Revelation, the third chapter. And notice what scripture says in Revelation chapter 3. It says, verse 7, last part, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. This is a quote from Isaiah, the 22nd chapter. What is this key of David all about? Take your Bible and turn back to Isaiah, the 22nd chapter, the 22nd verse. Now, this is the story in Isaiah 22 of the key of the sanctuary storehouse passing from Hezekiah to his servant, Eliakim. And it's a fascinating story. You pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 22, and uh, you look there at verse 20, that Eliakim is going to be clothed with the king's robe. Isaiah 22, verse 20. Then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe, that's the robe of the king, and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility to his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. Are those familiar words? Where do they come from? They come from what we've read in Revelation 3. I'll take the key of the house of David. I will lay it on his shoulder. He shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. What is this all about? Eliakim was King Hezekiah's faithful servant. He he received the key of the chief steward of the royal household. He had full control and access to the royal palace and the storehouse of the king. Keys open doors and all the treasures, all the riches, all the abundance of the king was opened up to the royal servant. So Jesus, the royal servant of heaven, unlocks the key of heaven's sanctuary. And at end time, all the blessings of grace. At end time, all the riches of eternity. Jesus, robed with the glories of the king, goes into the most holy place. He opens that door into the second phase of his ministry. And all the blessings of God, all the light of heaven, shining on an end time generation to prepare it for the coming of Jesus. Here in scripture, we might raise the question, if Jesus in his sanctuary bestows upon his earthly church all the treasures of eternity. If Jesus in his sanctuary gives gifts beyond measure, what does this have to do with health? Take your Bible, please, and turn to Revelation 11, verse 19. I suggest to you this morning that the message of health is a gift that comes by the grace of God from the sanctuary. 
It is not something dreamed up by human beings. But the message of health is a message that comes through the open door of the sanctuary, shining with the light of truth on an end-time people divinely raised up by the destiny of God. Revelation, the 11th chapter. And here is a door opened in heaven that John sees. Revelation 11, verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. John says, I looked up into heaven, and as I looked up there, I saw the door of heaven open. I saw the temple, and I saw the ark of the covenant. Where was the ark of the covenant? In the most holy place. So John says, I saw the Shekinah glory. I saw the ark of the covenant. What was in that ark? Hebrews, the ninth chapter, helps us. Hebrews chapter 9. What was in that ark? That ark of the covenant. And what does that message of the open door of the sanctuary say about health and the grace of God and the goodness of God to an end-time generation? Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And we look there at verse 4. Picking up with the second phrase in verse 4 of Hebrews 9. And the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. So here, in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, there's the ark of the covenant. And when we look through the open door of the sanctuary, what do we see? We see the ark. When we look in the ark, what do we see? We see Jesus the living law, speaking to an end-time generation about obedience to the moral principles of that law. Why is that Ten Commandment law in the ark? Above the ark is the Shekinah glory of God, because God is calling an end-time people, saved and redeemed by grace, filled with the faith of Jesus to respond obediently to keep his law. What else is there in that Ark of the Covenant? Aaron's rod that budded. Why is that there? It was there, according to Scripture, against the rebels. It reveals church authority. So in an age of independence, where everyone seems to, to go their own way, those that are saved by grace hear Jesus appealing to them to be subject to the authority of his church at end time. We look there at the sanctuary and we see the pot of manna. What does that pot of manna speak about? The pot of manna speaks to you and me about God's provisions for our physical needs. It speaks about a message of health in end time that shines from the sanctuary. Let's go back and look at that manna that fell and see what we can discover about heaven's appeal. We're going back to Exodus, the 16th chapter. The pot of manna represents heaven's way of life in contrast to the flesh diet of Egypt. It, re it represents divine health principles. The light shining from heaven's open door of the sanctuary is an appeal at end time in two specific areas. We're looking there at Exodus, the 16th chapter. The appeal of the manna is an appeal to personally live in harmony with the light that shines through heaven's open door in health. 
the pot of manna was God's abundant provision for, for Israel's physical health at a time of crisis. The open door of the sanctuary and the message of Christ's grace in the manna is also a message that speaks to us that God has put a gift in our hands and the manna is not to be consumed, but it's to be shared. It's to be given, not consumed merely by ourselves, but it's to be, be shared with others. It, it is really an appeal to take advantage of the light on hell shining to humanity and share this message of healthful end time living with the world. Now, Exodus the 16th chapter. Some amazing things about this manna. Exodus the 16th chapter. Here, Israel is crying out for the Egyptian way of life. Exodus 16, verse 3. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Exodus 16, 3. When we sat by the pots of meat, when we are, ate bread to the full, you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with, with, with hunger. So there are two ways of life. The way of life of Egypt that only brings disease, disaster, suffering, and death in the way of life of, of eternity, the way of life of God. And so the world that we live in today has an Egyptian way of life, little exercise, high-fat diet, high-sugar diet. When the American diet is well over 40% fat and sugar, just the, the non-communicable diseases, heart disease number one, cancer number two, stroke number three, diabetes, non-communicable diseases killing us because of the way of life that the Western world has chosen. Light shines from the sanctuary. The grace of God says there is mu something much better. There is manna, heaven's way of life, heaven's provision for health. But notice here, God says... Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Now this is something we're going to come back to, this certain quota, that I may test them when they walk in the way of the Lord. Verse 6, then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening, know that the Lord brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, eating heaven's diet, following heaven's way of life living in harmony with the principles of health that God gives us, we reveal the glory of the Lord by appreciating the gift and the light that shines from the grace in the sanctuary. Now, there is something here that is quite interesting. Did you notice the text itself in verse 4? It says, the people shall go out and gather a certain quota each day. What was that quota that they were to gather each day. Now take your Bible and go down and look at verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So when the Israelites went out to gather the manna in the morning, if there were elderly in the tent that couldn't come out, or if there were children, they gathered the manna for them. How much did they gather, everybody? How much did they gather? One what? Omer. How much is an omer? Six, it's about six pints. It'll be between six and eight pints, but about six pints, the most accurate. Six pints. Now, here's my question to you. 
Does the Bible give us any indication how many Israelites were in the wilderness? Is there ever a number given? Does it give us the number of men that went to war? How many were there? 600,000. That's what Numbers 1, verse 24 and 25 says, 600,000 men. Now, if you add women and children, the number that most students of the Old Testament are going to give you are 2 million. About 2 million Israelites. How many pints for each one? Six pints. What's that? Six pints would mean 12 million pints a day. Or 9 million pounds gathered every day. Or 4,500 tons gathered a day. I'm just getting to my point. <laughs> to put it another way, if you had 10 trains each having 30 cars full of grain, each carrying 15 tons, you'd have one day supply. 10 trains, 30 cars full of grain, 15 tons each car. That's one day supply. You've got to get that train coming tomorrow, too. And the next day, too. One million tons of manna plus were get gathered every year for 40 years. Now this amazing truth of the manna teaches us two things, and here are the lessons. The manna was a supernatural gift from God. It was not something manufactured by human beings. Because you may be a good cook, but you can't make that much manna. <laughs> it was not something Israel brought with them out of Egypt. It came down from heaven. The psalmist calls manna the bread from heaven. He declares that, that man ate angels' food. God's divine principles of health are one of the richest gifts that come down from heaven. Human genius did not manufacture them. Human science confirms them but did not originate them. The health message is modern manna falling in abundance for a people living at the close of human history. Light shines from heaven's sanctuary, revealing eternal truths about life and health for an end-time generation. Now, there's another aspect here. The amount of manna to feed Israel was just too great for any human being to manufacture. It had to be a heavenly gift. So no matter what good works you perform, you can never perform enough just like no Israelite could prepare enough food to feed those people because the amount was too great. The distance between me and God is just too great. I thank God for the heavenly manna, the bread of life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is too great a gift for any of us to manufacture. So Jesus, the bread of life, the true manna, is a heavenly gift freely given to enable us to live not for a few years in the wilderness of this world, but eternally. There's something else about that manna. The manna came right where the people were. The manna came right where the people were. There was enough for all. God reaches us where we are. Heaven's bounties of fresh air, sunshine, pure water, a healthy diet, rest, useful work, temperance, trust, and divine power. They are heaven's gifts within the reach of all. There is light shining. Light shining from the sanctuary, light shining through the open door of a sanctuary. 
And that light says to you and to me, to an end time people, Jesus says, I have a precious gift for you. The gift of a message of health to keep you healthy, but a gift to share with the world. And there is an abundance for all. Now, when Ellen White was only a teenager, she had an amazing vision. And when I first read that vision, I, I, I wondered about it. You'll find it in the book, Early Writings, page 20. And she's taken off in vision. She's still a teenager. And she says, and I saw a table of silver. It was many miles in length. Yet our eyes could extend over it. I saw the fruit of the tree of life, the manna the almonds, the figs, the pomegranates, the grapes, and other kinds of fruit. And I thought to myself, well, I understand about the almonds, the figs, the pomegranates, the grapes, but she, she has this vision of heaven, this silver table, and she sees the manna there. Why? The prophet of God lists manna as one of the heavenly foods God has prepared for the redeemed in the new earth. And all of a sudden it struck me. By living in harmony with heaven's principles today and sharing these principles with others, we prepare for the day that we'll eat manna in the new earth. The manna in the new earth will be a perpetual reminder to us that our total dependency for life itself is on God. The manna in the new earth will be a perpetual reminder to us that all of life comes through his grace and his goodness. We have been entrusted in the message of health with one of heaven's most priceless gifts. The manna is in our hands. What do we do with it? God has given us a message of health for all humanity. Light shining through the open door of heaven's sanctuary to the Adventist church. Will we spurn that light personally? Will we say, Lord, thanks for the manna, but I'd rather have the Flesh pots of McDonald's. No, I mean, I'd rather have the flesh pots of Egypt. Uh, thanks for the manna, Lord, but, um, you know, I need something a little more spicy here. It's a little bland, this plant-based manna diet. You know, the manna's in our hands. God gives us not only a message of diet, but a message of exercise and drinking water and health. And as a busy health professional, God speaks to your heart this morning. As there's some area in your life that you're not living in harmony with the principles of health that God has given. And God says, I'm giving you that manna. I'm giving you that manna. Light shining through the open door of the sanctuary. Will we spurn that light personally? Will we consider heaven's message lightly? Will we disregard it because it requires a change in our lives? What will we personally do with the message of health that God has given us? Now, the more I've studied, the more I become impressed with this, that we are living at the climax of human history. And the divine door of destiny of heaven's sanctuary is opened. And it's no accident that you were born for this hour. You could have been born 100 years ago. You could have been born 500 years ago. But God brought you on the scene of this earth's history right now. And it's no accident that God has given you a brain, that he's given you a mind, that he's given you skills and abilities as a medical professional. You are to lead the vanguard of a new generation of physicians, of dentists, of doctors, of, of, of healthcare professionals in any area. 
to reveal to a waiting world and a watching universe at this moment of Earth's history where the doors are open for it of the integration of the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual dimensions of life. God has brought this organization to fruition for that very reason. Now let me share with you how God has prepared the world for this very moment. God's prepared the world for the message of health shining from heaven's sanctuary years before he ever directed his people to it in the mid-1800s, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, God was preparing his, the world for it. God is a divine strategist. And the light from heaven that bursts upon the world at a given time often begins in gentle rays. God prepares the world for bursts of glory before Seventh-day Adventists ever clearly understood the relationship between health and, and, and spirituality. God was always already working on hearts, although these early health reformers in the 17 and 1800s didn't sense the fullness of God's message. God was revealing it to them. God was appearing the world for the fullest revelation of end-time truth, a total comprehensive message of health to be given to a last generation. Let me give you examples of how God was preparing a people for this message. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, that Seventh-day Adventists owe so much to regarding the relationship of health and spirituality. Wesley understood that. You know, Ellen White said of John Wesley that his foundation material of scripture truth, I'm quoting, would stand for all eternity. Most people are not aware that John Wesley was a vegetarian. Listen, here's what Wesley says. Thank God. Since I gave up the eating of the flesh of animals, I've bidden adieu to all the ills my flesh was heir to. Wesley understood. He wrote about the importance. Now, there were times that he may have slipped back occasionally, but Wesley was predominantly a vegetarian. Charles Spurgeon, mighty preacher in the 19th century. You know, Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people in the years of his ministry. It is said that Spurgeon wrote six, read six books a week. Spurgeon read six books a week. He preached to 23,000 people one time without a microphone and no mechanical assistance. Spurgeon came to the point in his life where he said, I want to be a vegetarian. So Spurgeon writes, I have lived on a purely vegetarian diet, and I'm a 100% better man for it, which it convinces me others can do so too. Now, what was going on with Wesley? What was going on with Spurgeon? God was using these men in the limited understanding they had of health, to begin to prepare a world for the open door of the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary where a full message would shine upon humanity. In 1807, William Medcalf founded the Vegetarian and Teetotaler Society of Bible Christians in Philadelphia. You know, it's amazing. You study the history of 1800 to 1830, 1840. You have all these health groups beginning to, to sprout 1832, Sylvester Graham lectured on vegetarianism, and in 1833, he began his journal, urging the use of fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. Before Adventists were looking through the light of the open door. 1847, British Vegetarian Society is formed. 1850, the American Vegetarian Society is established. What is going on here? God is preparing a world for this moment. God is preparing the cradle for the birth of the baby. 
He is preparing a world for the Advent movement that will herald the light from the sanctuary on the message of holistic living to make human beings whole and restore the brokenness that's achieved by sin. During this same time, Dr. James Jackson, Dr. R.T. Thrall popularized hydrotherapy and water treatments, a natural diet, exercise in the fresh air, a host of other natural remedies. This is happening in the 1800s. Why? Because God is a strategist. God is preparing a world. Joseph Bates, the founder of the Sabbath Truth, one of the early Adventist pioneers, understood the importance of health early, and he gave up tea, coffee, alcoholic drinks, meat, cheese, and butter. Now, early Adventists were often sick. They often died young. And it was in, on June 6, 1863, in Oswego, Michigan. Ellen White was in the home of Aaron Hilliard. And while she was there, God shone light through the door of the sanctuary. And Ellen White was given a vision of about 45 minutes on hell. Later, she wrote that in six pamphlets called How to Live. It revolutionized the Adventist church, changed our history. Then on December 25th, Christmas Day, 1865, God said to the church, I'm going to give you a Christmas present. The best Christmas present I could possibly give you. And there, Ellen White, Rochester, New York, was given a vision that Adventists should start small home-like institutions. And then it was there as well that she began to chronicle the relationship of health not only to spirituality, but to preparation for the coming of Jesus. Now, E.J. Wagner, on August 7, 1866, makes this incredibly powerful statement about the distinction of the Adventist health message. See, the message that shines from the sanctuary is not simply a message that you can live seven years longer, 10 years longer, 13 years longer. It's not merely helping people to exercise and have a lower cholesterol diet and, 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 and less sugar in their diet. There's something more unique than that. Here, listen to E.J. Wagner, J.H. Wagner, rather, August 6, 1866. He says, we as Seventh-day Adventists do not profess to be pioneers in the general principles of health reform. Why would Wagner make that statement? We don't profess to be pioneers in the general principles of health reform. Because he knew that there was a vegetarian society. He knew about the work of Thrall and Jackson. But he goes on. The facts on which this movement is based have been elaborated in a great measure by reformers, physicians, and writers on physiology and hygiene, and so may be scattered through the land. But we do claim that by God's method of choice, it has been more clearly and powerfully unfolded and is thereby producing an effect which we could not have looked for by any other means. Now listen to this. As mere physiological and hygienic truths, they might be studied by some at their leisure and by others laid aside as of little consequence. But when placed on a level with the great truths of the three angels' message, by the sanction and authority of God's Spirit, and so declared to be the means whereby a weak people may be made strong to overcome and our diseased bodies cleansed and fitted for translation. Then it comes to us as an essential part of present truth to be received with the blessing of God or rejected at our peril. So what is Wagner saying? He is saying the Adventist health message is designed by a God 
to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. Because the quality of blood that comes to our brain is nourished by our health practices, and the Holy Spirit communicates to our brain. So the uniqueness of the Adventist health message is three things. Why did God give the Seventh-day Adventist Church a health message? Number one, he loves us. He wants us to be in health. He desires us to be free from the non-communicable degenerative diseases that are destroying the lives of human beings. This message is a message that shines from the sanctuary, a message of grace, a message of love. It is not a legalistic requirement. It is heaven's manna for this generation. Secondly, why did God give us the Adventist health message? Because he knows that men and women in the world that may not be interested initially in spiritual things are interested in their health. And he knows that the health message is a door to the heart, a door to the soul. That's why he gave it to us. But thirdly, Jesus gave us the health message because he knows that that foggy brains and that sickened, diseased bodies may have a difficult time comprehending eternal truths. And so he gave us the health message uniquely in the context of the great controversy to prepare a world for the coming of Jesus. I love the way Ellen White puts it. First volume of the Testimonies, page 488, she says this. I saw, I saw that our heavenly Father has bestowed upon us the great blessing of light upon health reform. Why? that we may obey the claims which he has upon us and glorify him in our bodies and spirits, which are his, and finally stand without fault before the throne of God. The light is shining today from heaven's sanctuary to you and me. Will you follow that light personally? Will you share that light with others? Will you sense that the message of grace and goodness and love of God that comes from the sanctuary is given as a gift to prepare you and me and the world for the return of Jesus? You know, today the door's open. Today the world is talking about Seventh-day Adventist. Attend any major conference on healthful living and lifestyle, and Seventh-day Adventists are mentioned not as some cult, but as proponents of a healthy lifestyle. There's hardly an article written in scholarly literature that surveys the longest living population groups in America that doesn't mention Seventh-day Adventists. The landmark Adventist health studies, one and two, are being cited by researchers all over the world. Dan Buettner's Blue Zones, his feature article in National Geographic, have captured national and international attention. You go into any grocery store today, you'll be able to find almond milk and soy milk and all other kinds of health foods. Light is shining from heaven's sanctuary. The doors once closed are open today. This is the hour of our divine opportunity. Possibilities are before us today that we only dreamed about decades ago. This is the time for creative, forward-looking thinking right now to capture the world's attention with the Adventist health message. The stage has been set, but so much more can be done. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more powerful than a heaven-sent truth whose time has come. All the powers of hell cannot accomplish that, cannot keep that truth from accomplishing its appointed task. All of heaven's power is behind its proclamation. With the coming of the appointed time, 
both the message and messengers appear on the scene of this world's history. Some may ignore it. Some may minimize it. Some may oppose it. Some may reject it. But heaven's message will have its destined effect. The purpose of God cannot be nullified. The Most High still rules in the kingdoms of men. We may be so blind that we miss the opportunities of the hour. We may become so contented, so obsessed with our own ideas and goals that we miss the moment. But God nevertheless will lead his plans and his purposes on to triumph. When light shines from the sanctuary, when the moment of crisis comes, some unique men and women in every generation rise to the occasion. They sense the uniqueness of the hour. They take advantage of the opportunity. They step through the open door. Truth, heaven-sent truth, has irresistible power when the appointed time of its heralding has come in the plan of God. Speaking of ancient Israel, the scripture says, the men of Issachar had understanding of the times knowing what Israel ought to do. If there ever was a time that we need Seventh-day Adventist physicians and dentists and medical personnel to understand the uniqueness of the hour, to look through the open door of the sanctuary, to see the open doors in the world, to rise to the opportunity, to rise to the occasion, it is now. If there ever was a time to understand the times and know what Israel ought to do, it is now. God raises up men and women for the time. In Bible times, he raised up Moses in Israel, Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, Esther in Persia, to mention only a few. He's raised you up for this hour. As Christian Seventh-day Adventist health care providers, this is the hour of destiny, to share Christ's love and grace with the world. God has given his message to this church, a message of health and healing. He's called us not only to treat disease, but to help prevent it. He's called us not only to minister to the patient's physical needs, but as he opens doors, to minister to their emotional and spiritual needs as well. The message of health is a gift of God, a gift for our larger communities. It can't be bound within our office walls. The doors are open to a larger ministry in the community. Christ has called you to be the doctor in your community. There are other physicians, but you are the doctor of the soul in your community the doctor of wholeness, the doctor of healing, the doctor at your hospital, the doctor at your office. Will you accept the challenge? Will you say, Jesus, I see the light shining from heaven's sanctuary. And Lord, if there's some areas in my life, in the area of physical health, that are not in harmony, if I've been kind of putting my hands up against some light that comes from that sanctuary and health practices in my own life, but teaching health to others, Lord, teach me, and Lord, by your grace and strength, reveal your power to me. Do you sense open doors in your community? Will you pray that God will help you to be creative? Creative in going from this conference and leading your church to be a center of health and healing in your community. Whatever you're doing already, does God want you to take another step? Does God want you to do something else? Will you go from this conference sensing that the doors of the sanctuary are open? The doors in the hearts of many of your patients are open. The doors in the community are open. This is no common hour. And you are no common 
medical practitioner. This is no ordinary hour, and you haven't been called to be ordinary. This is a moment of divine destiny. Will you rise to that challenge? Will you say, Jesus, I open my heart to you today to walk in and share the light from heaven's sanctuary. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have this hope that burns within our hearts, the hope of the coming of the Lord. We do not desire merely to live another 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, or whatever it is, in this earth. Father, this is a divine moment of destiny. This is no common hour, and we're no common people. This is no ordinary moment, and we are no ordinary people. Father, we don't want to fail in our destiny now. We don't want to miss the reason for our calling. We don't want to have you bypass us for another generation. We repent of our lethargy. We repent of the places we have not seized the opportunity. Give us eyes to see that light shining ever more brightly in the darkness. Give us eyes to see the open doors in our patients, in their hearts, the open doors in our community. As we walk in the light that shines from the sanctuary, prepare us and our families and our patients and our churches and our communities for that great day when you will come and we can sing together. We have this hope. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.